Please take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. And again, if you have uh, one of the Bibles from the rack in the back, that is page 127. 127. Again, just to clarify, too, that that version uh, in the back there is the ESV, which we generally use, but for this series, I just was going to use an NIV. Uh, Sometimes the NIV narrative, the Old Testament narrative, sometimes just reads a little bit smoother. And not, one's not better than the other, but so if there's some slight differences, that's just, uh, that's just it. But page 127, you can follow along with us there. And just a quick bit way of recap, right, we started last week, first Sunday of Advent in Ruth 1. And the summary of Ruth 1 is that everything's terrible. Um, people die, there's famine, uh, there's sad goodbyes, uh, strangers uh, going to Bethlehem. Ruth, the Moabite, and it's just kind of a sad chapter. And, uh, but we see operating in the background the sovereignty of God, and it ends on a note of hope um, at the last verse there, verses 20, uh, verse 22, that uh, they arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This little glimmer of hope that food is returning to Bethlehem, the anticipation that there are going to be other things reversing as well. So this is where we pick up in Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the day, since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing 
of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our guardian, is our, is our close relative, and he is one of our guardian redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. God, we thank you again for this account. It's been preserved for us through the years. The story of the kindness and grace that Boaz has shown to Ruth, the outsider, the Moabite. God, we do, we see in here, and I, our prayers this morning that all here would see in here, God, uh, uh, how Boaz is, is a, a foreshadowing of Jesus, that we'd see how Christ and his kindness and grace has allowed a way, made a way for us to come in as outsiders and be made insiders. And through the salvation that Christ offers, God doesn't just rescue us, but gives us an abundance for your goodness and your grace. So speak to us now through your text. We would see Jesus and respond. We pray this as always for the glory of his name, the sake of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Outsider, becoming an insider. One of the themes here, along with the grace of Boaz. Um, you ever been an outsider? I've been an outsider. I've been a stranger. Ever been uh, in, uh, in another country and felt like an outsider? Uh, I have, certainly. I see people nodding their heads. Um, sometimes you get yourself into trouble <laughs> being not, right, if you're not aware. This is free. I, I thought I'd give a little travel information this morning and just some hints if you go to certain places, being an outsider. Um, in Florence, Italy, for instance, do not eat on the church steps there. You will be fined. You're not allowed to eat on the church steps of a church in Florence, Italy. Um, if you're ever in Barcelona and you go to the beach, make sure that you Leave the beach with something covering your swimsuit. You will be fined in Barcelona. You're not allowed to leave the beach without uh, covering over your swim attire. Um, in Singapore, do not chew gum on public transport uh, transportation. In Singapore, uh, you could get in trouble for that. In uh, Phnom Penh, 
the capital of Cambodia. Now, if you ever go there, I know everyone packs these. Do not do this if you go to Cambodia. Squirt guns are outlawed in the capital city of Cambodia. Apparently, this became such a problem that they said no more squirt guns. In Can you know? So don't bring one with you. You will get in trouble, and they'll confiscate your squirt gun. And how sad is that? Right? In Greece, no high heels in Greece, at least on the historical sites. All right? Uh, because actually they, it, it, it damages the, uh, the historical sites to try to preserve them for as long as possible. And high heels, you know, those pointy things, they just dig in like little chisels, and, uh, and they affect it. And, and don't chew gum either, actually, in those sites. Actually, I read they, they found, uh, years ago they did a cleaning. Uh, they found 60 pounds of gum under the seats of a theater built in 161 A.D. Like, who sticks gum under seats to start with? But then in like 160, you know, that's an old place to be sticking your trashy gum, right? So don't do that. And don't wear high heels, all right? Carrie, no high heels in Greece, all right? Uh, don't tip. Don't tip in Japan. It's insulting. If, if you tip someone in Japan, they, they read it as, oh, I look poor. Um, I look like I don't have enough, and, and they're tipping me. It's a charity thing. They don't, they don't like that. Um, if you're ever in St. Kitts in the Caribbean, don't swear. And don't swear anywhere. All right, but, but if you're in the Caribbean and St. Kitts, don't swear there. That, that you can actually get arrested. There's a strict law against profanity in public in St. Kitts. So uh, don't do that there. If you're ever in Thailand, don't step on the money. Because I know everyone does that. But don't step on the money in Thailand. Because the image of the royal family is on the money. And it's, it's insulting. So, uh, and then in Mexico, you can be fined if you do not bike responsibly. And one of the ways they define that is if you lift your feet off the pedals... You know, like when you're going downhill as a kid and you're like, wee, you know, and both feet in the air. If you do that in Mexico, you'll be fine because it's reckless driving, okay? So, so there you go. There's something. Being an outsider in a foreign country, you can get yourself into trouble, right? I want to paint a picture for you this morning. I want us to understand. Sometimes when we know how a story ends, especially familiar biblical stories, we, we kind of can lose sight of some of the significance of some of the details, do not lose sight of the significance of what it meant for Ruth as a Moabite woman to be alone, uh, gleaning in a field in Israel. Okay? Uh, she is a fish out of water. And she is highly vulnerable to a lot of bad things. All right? Those things are all kind of fun. All right? Getting a fine for bringing a squirt gun to Thailand, it'd actually be kind of fun. Actually, not for me. It'd be fun to see that happen to Luke. But um, yeah, no, right? But this is life or death for her. This is abuse, potentially, discrimination. Don't lose sight of that. And I want us to have that in the background of our minds because what it does is it highlights Boaz's actions that are completely astounding. The way he treats this outsider in his field. So here's the big idea this morning. When we, as outsiders, truly look for grace from God, we become insiders and receive blessings above and beyond what we could ever deserve. When we, as outsiders, seek grace from the God of Israel through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we become insiders and receive blessings above and beyond what we could ever deserve. So we enter chapter 2, verse 1. Glimmers of hope continue to appear. We saw the first glimmer of hope at the end of chapter 1 as it closed about the barley harvest. 
We see another glimmer of hope here in chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative. The word order here is actually putting emphasis on that word relative. It's the point of emphasis. She had a relative. Now this is important. This is a legal relative, a legitimate relative. So we need to make that point, and we're going to make that point, a legitimate legal relative, and then we're going to kind of just sit it aside for a little bit till the end of the chapter, and actually set it aside even more significantly for next week in chapter 3. But that's a significant point. Naomi had a relative, a legal, legitimate relative, okay? It's a glimmer of hope. It goes on to describe this relative. He's a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. A man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. And then it gives us his name, Boaz. So we see here in this opening of chapter 2 that this man, Boaz, was a man of wealth, standing, and influence. And again, the clan of Elimelech, mentioned two times in three verses. Two times in three verses. Legal relative. All right? This is important. We've been introduced to a man who has the means and the connection to take care of business. Specifically, to take care of the bad business that Naomi and Ruth find themselves in. Potentially, a hero has just stepped onto the stage. Being a youth pastor over the years, it's funny. You get to see the youth group girls on, on occasion swoon over certain actors and people. And years ago, there was one, Mr. Darcy, right, of Jane Austen. Is this the Jane Austen? Um, Mr. Darcy. There's one girl in particular, like Mr. Darcy. Like, if I could just meet Mr. Darcy. Right? We had other girls over the uh, Matthew McConaughey, or uh, Matthew McConaughey, actually, as all right, I know. And I'm not going to say anything, but some of these girls are actually sitting in this room right now, and I'm not going to point them out. Right? But right, well, it was these guys, these, these debonair, these, these men of nobility who could, who could step in, Mr. Darcy and, and uh, the hero, the, you know. It's kind of what Boaz is here. It's kind of setting him up like this. Here's the hero, and he's stepping in, and, and he has means, and, and, and he's got authority and standing, and he walks onto the stage here. All right? So let's leave Boaz there just for a minute, and we'll come back to him. Let's go back to Ruth just for a minute. We've already alluded to this. Continue to want to paint this picture. She is in a highly vulnerable situation. Okay? She is poor. We've already established that last week and this week, right? She is so poor that she is gleaning in the field. She's following the workers, trying to pick up enough scraps to survive on, right? Look, oh, here's one. And then, and, and it was, these were professional gleaners. They didn't just drop stuff. Like, you, you know, they, um, they, they were good at what they did. So they're scrounging. There's probably other people scrounging too. It's, it's like when someone hits a foul ball at a baseball game. And you see like 30 people like pounce on it to try to get it. You know, it's, it's oh, there's one, there's one, and, and, and trying to pick it up and pick it up. And she's poor, she's desperate. She's also a Moabitess, a foreigner. This is a growing emphasis as the narrative unfolds, right? At the end of chapter 1, she's referred to for the first time as Ruth the Moabitess. If you look in chapter 2, verse 2, verse 6, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 21... She's either referred to as the Moabite, the Moabitess, or the foreigner. She refers to herself as the foreigner. This is becoming a major point of emphasis now as the book unfolds. In fact, when, when it's interesting, this, this is how much of a point is being made. When, when Boaz asks the foreman who this woman is, you catch his answer? She's the Moabitess from Moab. Well, duh. 
right? I mean, but right? of course, she, that's where Moabitess has come from. But that's not a waste of words there. It's a point of emphasis. She is the outsider. This is the Moabitess from Moab. She's an outsider. She's an alien. Here's what I want you to tuck away as we impact the rest of this and see the grace of Boaz, wanting you to see in him the grace of Christ. You and me are outsiders. We are Ruth. Ruth's story is our story. An alien, vulnerable, desperate for grace, right? Look at the terminology in the New Testament that's used to describe us before we come to Christ. Ephesians 2. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're not fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. No longer strangers and aliens implied that at one time I was a stranger. At one time I was an alien, right? Colossians 1, 21 through 22, uses the same terminology. You who are once alienated and hostile in mind, you are God's enemy. Not only were you an alien, you were just hostile towards God. You're an enemy of God's, right? 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, captures it so well here. But you are, now that you are in Christ, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here it is. Once you were not a people, <laughs> but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Ruth's story is our story. I'm an outsider. I'm an alien. I was not a people. Now I'm part of the people of God. This is Ruth's story. Ruth searches for grace and finds herself in a place where she will find it. Verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 through 3. Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. This word, find favor, this word favor is the word for grace. Whose eyes I find grace. Ruth, who has put her life under the care of Yahweh, she goes to work. Just as a side note here, this is another thing to admire about Ruth's character. She was courageous in her willingness to go to Israel as a Moabite and venture into the field as a foreigner. Okay, I want to make sure we're really clear here. She is risking physical and verbal abuse. She is risking discrimination. And she is most likely risking sexual assault. All of this, remember, in the time of the judges, which made all of these things even more likely, spiritually and morally corrupt time in Israel. It's all very real. I love the way Ruth responds to trials here, though, right? To these difficult. She doesn't quit. She doesn't mope. I'm going to go out. She goes and seeks grace in these fields. So she gleans. These gleans. We've talked about this. Mosaic law, by the way, she wasn't just trespassing. I'm like, oh, who's this jerk going and stealing grain from, Mo from Boaz's field? Right? There was actually provision for this in the Mosaic law because God cared about aliens and orphans and widows, and he still does, right? So there's a certain amount that was to be left and uh, some things to be done to allow. Here, here's some, some of the, the words, right, from Leviticus. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy. And these are a couple of places. There's some others that talk about this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. 
It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. What God is doing there, he's saying, if you drop something, you're, you're not allowed to pick it back up again. Or the harvesters are not allowed to get to the end of the field and then look back and go, oh, man, we missed a bunch of stuff. The law said, there's no seconds. You, you have to leave it and go. That's for the poor. So that's what she's participating in here. She's seeking to glean in a field, someone's eyes, that she can find favor. This word find appears again. We first saw the word find in chapter 1, verse 9, right? Where Naomi told Ruth and Orpah, go back to Moab and find rest. Instead of finding rest in Moab, though, as we talked about last week, Ruth comes to Israel. She changes gods, small g gods, adopts big g god, Yahweh, and finds grace. Ruth doesn't want to find rest in Moab. She wants to find grace in Israel with Naomi. Find it. Find what? Grace. And this is the key word of the chapter. Grace depicts a heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to one who has a need. The word implies pity, compassion, mercy, sympathy. These all convey the sense of this word. This word grace, it conveys desperation. Desperation. This is the same phrase that Esther uses. Remember Queen Esther in the book of Esther? Pleading for the life of her people. The king had issued an edict to, to wipe out the Jewish people. And Esther is pleading, and this is the term she uses. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found grace in your sight, O king, let us live. A desperation. Death. And Esther's pleading for grace. It's a point of desperation. It was in Ukraine years ago. You've heard me talk about that. Back in 1992, um, so right after the Iron Curtain fell, 1992, I was there with the ministry team, and we had the opportunity to go to the Air Force Academy that had been the premier Air Force Academy of the Soviet Union uh, when it existed, and, and it was in Ukrainian territory, and they wanted to have this, this Christian group in there, so we did some services there for the cadets, and uh, it was super cool being there. After one of the services, two of these cadets come up to me, and they're, and they're more, they don't speak what, Russian or Ukrainian or what, you know, and they don't speak a lick of English, but they're, 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 they're kind of grabbing me and, and kind of like, you know, and I'm like, okay, um, just stupid. Um, okay, and I thought they were just going to take me off stage and, you know, talk or whatever, and well, then they, they end up, they open this door, and we go down this hallway, and I'm like, uh, the auditorium's getting further away where all my people are, you know, and they're pulling me along, and I'm like, oh, man, and uh, we go through another door, and then, you know, around the hallway, next thing we know, we're like in a different building. Like they're barracks. I'm like, uh, okay, this is not good. And, uh, and they take upstairs, and they're trying to unlock a door, and they, the guy pulls out a key, and it's their room. I'm like, they're going to take me in here, and they're going to beat me up, right? And again, right, this is the era we were raised in uh, in the 80s, right? These, these were the Soviets. Like, these were the bad guys. They're going to kill this American punk in there. I can see the headline now, you know, American punk killed in Ukraine. Um, and I'm like, I'm starting to freak out a little bit. Now, at the end of the day, it turned out really great, and I wanted to bring them with me today. The, not the cadets, what they, <laughs> that would be cool too. Uh, but what they gave me, they, they actually brought me up there, and they, they tore the stripes off of their dress uniforms, and they wrote messages on it, and they gave them to me. And they gave me this signed picture of a MIG, and then a workout t-shirt. <laughs> I'm not sure why, uh, but the, here's, here's my workout t-shirt. Like, um, but they wanted to give me stuff. But, the, but the, for a few minutes there, I felt pretty vulnerable. I mean, these were big dudes. And I was pretty scrawny when I was in high school. And, um, and I'm like, that feeling of desperation. And then when I got a gift instead of a beating, that was, that was, that was, that was good. <laughs> I'm like, 
Ruth is in that. That's grace. Desperate. She's in a desperate place. Needing grace. Needing favor. That's what this word always communicates in Scripture. The user always recognizes his place is desperate for something. This is what we truly need. Excuse me. This is what we need to find. Grace. Verse 3. Ruth finds herself in Boaz's field. Ruth finds herself in Boaz's field. Depending on your translation, it may say, as it turns out, or behold. Literally, the literal reading of this in Hebrew is, her chance chanced upon this. I think, the, I think the author's having a little fun with us. The author basically is going, as luck would have it, and, and he's using it as a device, because he knows, this isn't luck, but he's, he's grabbing our attention here. As it just turns out, Right? When I was starting to get a little interested in, in Kathy, or a lot interested in Kathy, right? Um, we both traveled, right, as you know, for, for Cedarville, and I, I, I was a team leader, so we had offices in the, uh, the ministry center there at Cedarville to do our important team leader work. And, um, and she had practice, so, um, you know, so I don't remember what night it was, but uh, I knew when her practice schedule was. And after a few weeks, uh, uh, the, the director of the music team's there, I remember him saying to me one time, he goes, hey, Craig. And their practice was some like somewhat godly time, like what was it like nine to eleven or something like that? And he's like, I've noticed, I've noticed that every time Kathy has practice, her team has practice, you have work to do in your office. Not only do I notice that you have work to do in your office, but I also notice that you happen to be taking a break in the hallway, right outside of the practice room when she's done. I, and you know, and then he's like, I know it's just a coincidence. But it's just kind of funny, right? That's, that's exactly what the author's doing here. He's like, just a coincidence. She just happened to be in this field belonging to Mr. Darcy, right? <laughs> just happened to be there. Hmm. God's sovereignty operating in the background here, isn't it? As it always does. And the God who allowed the struggle and suffering of chapter 1 is the God who's bringing about the reversal Chapter 2. That reversal comes through this man, Boaz. The conduit of grace, part 1, verses 4 through 9. Ruth is searching for favor in someone's eyes, and look, she's in Boaz's field. So there's this exchange between Boaz and his workers. It's interesting, right? In verse 4, it's it's kind of weird. And the book is short as Ruth. It's, It's fascinating to me that this greeting between Boaz and his workers is there. Like, why waste words on that? It's irrelevant to the story. Ruth goes in, the Lord, the Lord bless you. And and they respond, the Lord bless you, right? We're being instructed. We're being taught here something about Boaz's character. Right away, we're seeing that Boaz has spiritual sensitivities. Boaz, in the time of the judges, was a Yahwist. He's acknowledging God. And we're also learning something about Boaz because in his graciousness to his workers and in their response, you see that this man is a gracious and kind man. In fact, we'll see in a little bit, he's actually sitting at the table eating with his harvesters a little bit later. So we're, we're getting some education into what kind of person Boaz is. These things starting to maybe give us a sense that this would qualify him to be the redeemer and the hero of the story. Verse 5, Boaz notices Ruth. Now to be honest, it doesn't tell us what this noticing was. It wasn't like, whoa. Who is that? You know, I, I kind of don't think that's a sense. And I, I think more what it is is he walks up, he's like, why is there a woman by herself who I don't know, small town Bethlehem, right? They knew everyone. 
a stranger, none of us know, by herself harvesting my field. Like, who is that? She would stand out. His foreman fills him in. We read that, right? He gave her all the details. Ruth's work that morning. Boaz makes the connection. He's heard about Ruth. Now he sees her. And he pulls her aside in verse 8. And he calls her what? Hey, Moabitess. Hey, scavenger. No. My daughter. A tenderness there. Daughter implies father. Implies protection. And he invites her to stay among his women there, his workers, so she could identify with them. He instructs his men to leave her alone, right? These threats that we mentioned earlier. I was a truck driver. I was a truck driver for several months after, after I graduated and before Kathy and I got married. I drove trucks for a van line, uh, Global, there, in, and we had a terminal in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty rough group of guys who works there. A lot, most of the guys I worked with had done time. Um, just really interesting dudes. And um, there was three or four women who worked with us. I instantly was able to make a connection. I know what this is like. Because we, there's three or four of us guys who are Christian, we felt like a responsibility, I mean, because it was bad, the cat calls and the, the inappropriate comments. And, and like, you know, you kind of had to look out for these, these girls who, who worked there because of the, the, the trashiness of the guys who, who worked there. And this is exactly what Boaz understands. He invites her, protects her as a father. He takes responsibility for her. This entire conversation between Ruth and, and, and Boaz is marked with kindness and respect. And then in verse 9, you need to catch this. In verse 9, he provides water for her. But note how he provides the water. It's not just like, hey, Ruth, if you need something to drink, the well's over there, go grab something. Ruth, if you need something to drink, go over there and drink the water that the men have drawn. That is weird. That does not happen. Foreign women do not drink water that Israelite men have drawn for them. That turns the whole thing on its head. Israelite men or women don't, or men don't drink the water that Israelite women have drawn for them. It's, it, the woman would serve, and if you're a foreign woman, it's even more your place to serve. Boaz turns this whole thing on its head and says, go drink the water that the Israelite men have drawn for you. Wow. This is weird. Ruth, understandably, in verses 10 through 11, is overwhelmed by the grace shown by Boaz. She gets the significance of this. It doesn't make any sense to her either. Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me? This is actually a pun in Hebrew. Why have you noticed the unnoticed? Why have you uh, recognized the unrecognized? Why are you giving me this? I'm a nobody is what she says, right? Most of us guys in this room, there's some cool guys in this room, but most of us, this is our story, right? When it comes to, this is Kathy saying yes to Craig. Like, why are you, like, it's me, I'm a loser. And my, I, I married out of my league, right? All of you did too, so, uh, right? No, but this is like, man, this, this is like the, the, this is like the robotics kid getting the, the captain of the cheerleading squad. You're like, that's me. I can say it. My son's in robotics. Uh, right? No, this is like, what, how, you notice me? Like, how would you notice me? I'm nothing. You, this is Ruth's response here. It makes no sense to her. Who am I? I think as a side, if we're all honest, haven't we all been here with God? Who am I? 
How could you love me? I don't even always love me. Who am I? Ruth's question is understandable. The upside of her question is this. We should all have this humble view of ourselves that never forgets who we are. Right? This was, Paul, this was Paul's story throughout the New Testament. Paul never lost sight of who he was as a persecutor of the church, as a murderer. And it wasn't a bad thing. It drove Paul for the rest of his life to be motivated and serve God. He understood God, God's love for him. But these doubts that we have, they can be powerful tools of Satan. Chase them with the realities that God, that God loves you. Who am I? You're loved by God. That's who you are. So much that he sent his son to die for you. Know that. This is why Paul prays in places like Ephesians 3. This reason I bow my knees before the Father, right? Paul saying, I bow and pray to the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Who am I loved by God? Paul says, I pray, my great prayer for the church is that you would know that you are loved by God, a love that surpasses knowledge. It doesn't make sense. This is what Ruth is grappling with here. It doesn't make sense. Boaz addresses her question, her doubts about grace. Boaz honors her turning by showing her grace. Ruth asked, why have you shown me grace? Boaz answered, in the whole center of this conversation, verse 12, because you have turned, because you have sought refuge under the wings of the God of Israel, because you surrendered everything to accompany Naomi, because you turned to Yahweh and made her God your God. And sometimes that's all we got. Why do you love me, God? There's no reason why you should love me. And God says, because you turned to me in desperation, seeking my grace. And that's all I got. But it's enough. Right? I turned to God and met a man named Jesus who says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. That's who you are. I'm going to take the time to look at these. I wish we did. This is in Psalms. Uh, the benefits of people who turn and take their refuge in God. I think I gave you the reference for these, so you can look them up later. Uh, but I want to keep going here. Ruth responds to Boaz's answer in verse 13. She humbly accepts the grace of Boaz. When she says, may I continue to find favor, she's acknowledging, I have found grace she accepts the grace of God, which can be humbling, right? We want to work for things. We want to earn things. Grace isn't earned. And she understands that here. She just accepts it. She has found what she was looking for. Remember at the beginning, may I go find grace? She has found it. And really, I would suggest to you and more, Boaz has exceeded her expectations. And let me stop right here and say that Jesus Christ in every way exceeds our expectations. Just like Boaz did. His words and his actions comforted her and took away her fears. Whatever fears she had, they were now vanishing. That's what grace does. This is what John writes. Perfect love uh, or fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, right? Perfect love casts out fear. She understands. She says to Boaz here, I, I, I'm not even at the status of one of your servants, 
but you've shown me grace. Right? I'm the lowest of the low, but she accepts his grace, right? I, you often think of yourself as this guy? I do. I don't think of you as this guy. I think of me as this guy. Charlie Brown, the perennial loser. I can't do that. Can't kick the football. Can't get the little redhead girl. Can't get invited to the Valentine's party. I mess up everything. Lowest of the low. Who am I? To show grace. How about this for a creative thing? Kindness of Boaz, part two. <laughs> for those of you who are interested in these things, Ruth works as a chiasm. We see it unfolding here. That verse 12 is kind of the central part of this chapter. And you see these responses, and Boaz's kindness has continued to be unpacked. He invites her to the table where she sits with the reapers. It's dinner time in verse 14. Come eat with us. It gets crazy. This is getting even crazier as it goes on. She's sitting at a table now eating that she has no business to be at, right? In this time, we've heard this before. You didn't just eat dinner with someone. I mean, sitting and eating at dinner, it's whatever here. In the ancient Near Eastern world, if you ate dinner with someone, that communicated acceptance that you're in. That's why Jesus got in trouble for eating with tax collectors and sinners. It communicated something about acceptance. And here's a Moabitess at the table of one of the leading families of Bethlehem. There's no business being there culturally. Then it gets even worse, crazier. Verse 14, Boaz gives her grain. Boaz, the wealthy landowner, influential leader of Bethlehem, now serves the Moabite woman. Right? He serves her. By the way, is this starting to sound a little familiar, someone we've heard of in the New Testament? Jesus washing disciples' feet, dying on a cross, serving. Crazy. Verses 15 and 16. He allows her between the piles in verses 15 and 16. They finish dinner, and he tells his workers, let her in between the piles. This is a place reserved for insiders. People reserved in the household. These places, the glean, weren't afforded to the normal gleaners. And he commands them to leave more for her. He says, let her there and do not harass her. Do not say anything negative to her. You leave her alone. In fact, you provide extra for her. Drop some stuff on accident, right? I mean, what he's telling them to do is like gleaning and being like, oh, I dropped one, Ruth. It's right there. Sorry, I can't go back and get it, right? I mean, that's, that's what she's telling, he's telling them to do. This is like, like we do Easter egg hunts with my kids uh, over the years. And like you have no mercy on like Zach or, you know, you, you hide stuff where they're not going to be able to find it. In fact, we just found an egg that I think we had hid two years ago. Um, like, oh, there it was. And, uh, and that's no reflection on our house cleaning, by the way. It's just, it was such a good hiding place, right? Um, but but with, with, with Ty, right? You guys know how it is with Ty. He's like, I can't find anything. And you're like, oh, look, there's one right there, Ty. And he's like, oh, I found it. And you're like, wow, good job, buddy. You know, and uh, you know, you're kind of helping. That's what's going on here. But as I say, drop stuff for her. Like, oh, there it is, Ruth. Drop stuff for her. Leave it. His kindness. All of these actions on Boaz's part provide movement inward for Ruth. She's losing her status as an alien and gaining status as part of Boaz's household. She has moved from outsider to the outer edge of the inner circle. This is our story. Right? Verses 17 through 19. 
She see, uh, receives an abundance. Literally a pile. She is giving a pile. Estimates approximately between a half month and a month's supply gleaned by her just in this one day. It's crazy. Fullness. Again, the New Testament connection. Isn't this what Jesus said to us? I've come that you might have life and have it in piles. Abundance. Fullness. More than you deserve. More than you ever thought I could give you. Boaz is foreshadowing that here. Why? Because Ruth has sought refuge in Yahweh and accepted the grace of Boaz. Boaz moves beyond the requirements of the law. The law only required Boaz to leave some corners and throw some stuff, you know, leave extras on the ground. Boaz has gone above and beyond the requirements of the law. Once again, it's Jesus. They come back, and Naomi's amazed. Naomi identifies Ruth. She uses some terminology here of kinsman redeemer. This becomes significant. We're being introduced now to a theme that we'll unpack next week. The kinsman redeemer. Naomi's amazed at what she sees. Ruth brings it in. Naomi's like, where have you been? It's a few years back on a men's wilderness trip. When we get to a campsite, we always make the guy, you always have to go get, go get firewood first. Just while your wet shoes are on. Don't get comfortable. Just go get firewood and have it done. So you're going on. You're pulling stuff out. I remember we were there. Uh, Steve Hoffman here. Steve Hoffman was like the wood master. Like guys are bringing out like a little handful. Steve, Steve Hoffman's like hauling out like trees. It's like, and you're like, did I miss? Is there a store down the road? You know, is there a tractor supply? Where are you? And he's just coming out and bringing this. That, that's what Ruth's like. Where did you get this? And her name is like, where'd you get it? Ruth's like, I was in the field of a man named Boaz. You know, he's like, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. Grace. Grace. And Naomi's starting to change here a little bit, isn't she? Remember how negative she was about God in chapter 1? Now she says, God hasn't forgotten us. He has remembered us. And now there's a redeemer. I love in verse 21, Ruth says, yeah, and he told me to keep coming back. And Naomi says, take him up on that. You know what this communicates to us? Boaz's grace wasn't just a one-shot deal. Again, mirrors the grace of God. It doesn't run out. It's there tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after and the day after. I'm going to ask Tom and our worship team to come up and they'll close us in a song. Um, as they do, here are the points of application. Seek rest and grace from Christ. It's not found in Moab. Right? But I preached about Carlos's testimony today. He's laying in the hospital. He's like, I knew where I needed to go. And it wasn't in any of the things that I had been turned into. I knew where I needed to go. Humble yourself. Be vulnerable. Receive grace. By the way, and I don't, he, he wouldn't want me, right, this is vulnerable. Getting up saying, I, I, I was in a bad place and I needed grace. That, that's the spirit that it takes to receive the grace of God. Demonstrate hesed in everyday life. It's kind of a side, but, right, mirror Boaz. Boaz understood, I believe, that he was the means, the conduit to which God would show grace to Ruth. We need to be that to hurting people. See Christ in all of this. Christ has the means. Christ went above and beyond the law, and Christ served us. I wish we had time. You know, be fa- you know what a fascinating? I wish we had time to compare the book of Ruth to the book of Hebrews. The whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is better, how Jesus goes above and beyond the law. Ruth is a precursor to Hebrews. This is what Jesus did for us. Find 
grace under the wings of grace, Yahweh this morning. He will not turn you away. Amen.